Whatever you do for the least of these, I guess he was talking about crickets. Yeah, we have a visitor with us today, uh, so I apologize about that. Uh, I think uh, we got some pest control technicians uh, having a look at it. That's right. <laughs> Every living creature. Um, so we'll kind of pretend like this is a campfire, you know, like... Here's some crickets in the background noise. Pretend it's adding ambiance. At this time, I will ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and then the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Brothers and sisters, all flesh is grass. The beauty of that grass is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this, the word of our God, endures. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. So yesterday morning, I was sitting alone in a Dundalk parking lot thinking about today's sermon. I do that a lot, actually. Not in Dundalk, necessarily, but often I have to be somewhere, and I'll decide to show up early just so I could spend a few minutes in the car kind of thinking about what I'm going to say that coming Sunday and kind of try out some things. I'm, I'm sure I get a lot of weird looks from people to see me talking to myself. Anyway, I was doing this yesterday morning in Dundalk because I was waiting for a memorial service to start. The mother of one of my best friends from high school passed away earlier this month after suffering for multiple years with cancer. This was the fourth person to pass away in less than a year who had played a, a relatively important role in my youth I didn't want to just let that moment pass, but in my experience, Sunday morning comes around whether I'm ready for it or not, so I still had a sermon to think about. After doing a little bit of reading and a little bit of praying, I turned on the radio for a minute to kind of clear my head, and I I started to hear these, these guys talking about this viral Twitter post that had been posted a few weeks ago. A morning news anchor, apparently in Seattle, had posted a picture of six popular candies and wrote the words, one has to go forever, which one do you choose? Now, the six candies were, and you can write this down, Snickers, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Milky Way, Kit Kat, Plain M&M's, and Twix. Say that again. Snickers, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Milky Way, Kit Kat, Plain M&M's, and
and Twix. Silly question, right? She got over 16,000 likes, over 2,000 retweets, and she's got like 37,000 people commenting on this question just on her tweet alone. That doesn't count like all the retweets and all that. So at first I remembered that, oh, I'm supposed to be thinking about a sermon, not this nonsense, so I turned off the radio, and then I remembered that I'm thinking about a sermon on anger, so I turned back on the radio. Now these guys talking about this, they, they were talking about it in good fun. They were, they were point, the reason why they were talking about it is to get a laugh. So there wasn't really like genuine anger getting thrown around, but it did strike me how passionate the DJs were about the topic. And how even more passionate the people calling in the show were about it. Every time somebody gave an answer, others would start shouting like the person had insulted their mother. Somebody said they'd eliminate M&Ms because they're just garbage chocolate wrapped in an Advil. And this incensed M&M fans and tempers started to flare. And then uh, I actually looked at the tweet itself and read some of the ridiculously passionate answers to this seemingly subjective question. Some lost individual even said that combining chocolate and peanut was a tragedy. We'll pray for him. Now, I'll be honest. For me, the answer was crystal clear of which one I'd eliminate. But I hesitate in saying it because I don't want you all to think less of me. Like Bruce, I would say Twix, and it's not even close. I'm sorry if there's Twix fans in the, in the congregation today, but those other candies are titans. The, other, the internet and social media specifically has created an outlet for our anger like nothing else before If you're ticked off about something, you have a free platform to go on and declare to the world what you think, and you're under, we'll say, limited obligation to keep the conversation civil. And if people uh, get that worked up about candy preferences, you know what happens when we crank up the volume just one tick, just slightly, to say sports teams, pandemonium. So you get used to exercising your anger with these things that don't really matter. And when things start coming up that do truly matter, it seems only natural to viciously attack someone because of their views on religion or politics or parenting choices or marital choices or money or race or sexuality and on and on and on. And pretty soon... Our anger towards one another destroys our relationships. It destroys our society. It cripples this one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And it creates chasms of division because we have fallen for the idol of being right rather than remembering the truth that to love God is to love your neighbor and to love your neighbor is to love God. They're one and the same, you see. That's, that's why Jesus married them. Did you know that you can't truly love God without loving your neighbor because your neighbor is God's son or daughter? And you can't truly love your neighbor without knowing that love itself is defined by God. In this Sermon on the Mount that we're preaching through, we're reading about Jesus' call to a new way to be human. 
This text today is the first of six examples that Jesus gives where he references an Old Testament piece of law and then offers an authoritative interpretation of them. We talked last week about how Jesus had no interest in abolishing the law and the prophets or the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. No, he says, I didn't come to abolish them, I came to fulfill them. I came to reclaim them, Jesus says, from the scribes and the Pharisees and bring a, bring a completeness to them. He, he came to bring a wholeness to them and calls us to follow his lead because, because he desires wholeness for each and every one of us. Last week we saw Jesus reference righteousness, which we said was whole existence or behavior that is in accords with God's nature, his will, and his coming kingdom. I think that one of the most important things to keep in mind during this whole series on the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus not only desires righteousness from us, he desires righteousness for us. We could put holiness in that in there as well. Jesus not only desires holiness from us, he desires holiness for us. See, he wants you and I to be whole and in proper relationship with him. This is one of the best things that actually came from the evangelical movement of the 20th century. Jesus desires a personal relationship with you and I. That's the source of righteousness, not your own cunning, not your, your, uh, but your, rather your humble submission and death to self in order to take up your cross and follow the Master. So in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus provides the authoritative interpretation of six examples from the law. And he starts out with something pretty basic, right? You've heard it said to those of old. That's an interesting turn of phrase, by the way. I kept, my, 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 my eye just kept landing on that, to those of old. It doesn't sound very biblical. It, it sounds more like something I'd see in like Tolkien or something, but there it is. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is, of course, a reference to the Ten Commandments, and then also a reference to a later explanation in Numbers of the consequences of that violation. Do not murder, and if you do, there will be severe consequences. Good rule, good law. And it's not an abstract principle, right? This is one that is still tragically pertinent in our day. This past week, we learned that there have been over 230 homicides in Baltimore City alone in 2019, over 30 more than there was at this time last year. That should break our heart and drive us to long for justice and peace. But we do this thing where we who live in the county, we might do this thing where we look at the city and we shake our heads in disgust as if it's not our society. But the truth is, if I got in my car right now, within 10 minutes, I could be in one of the most violent neighborhoods in the country. Sometimes we act like there is this wall that separates the city from the county, but the truth is that that's my community and that these, crime, that these crimes are happening in. It, it may not be my neighborhood, but it is my community. It is my home. Now, do I know what the solution is? I, I do not. But I do know... I do believe that ignoring it, being afraid of it, or being ashamed of it aren't solutions. I have a friend 
whose wife works at a school in the city, and their building was in disrepair, as a lot of the city schools are, and they organized this big effort over the summer through their church to come in and paint the building and fix broken things and organize and clean because they wanted the students to be able to learn in classrooms that were prepared for them. The cleanup effort just took a few days and their attention to the school will last all year wrong, but, but it's something that men and women are doing to stop ignoring the problem and start investing in the kids that will soon grow up to make choices of life and death. I was encouraged to see that Q Commons will be held this year at the Hopkins Homewood campus. We hosted the event last year in Bellis Hall, and, and this year, Q is bringing in these great national speakers. This is kind of like a Christian TED Talk. They're, they're bringing in speakers like Malcolm Gladwell and Francis Chan. Uh, perhaps, but perhaps more importantly, they're also bringing in local speakers like Derek Miller from Hope Springs, who's preached here at New Hope several times before, and Jenny Yang from World Relief. These folks are gathering because they care about our city and they desire to respond in a way that honors Jesus to support the common good. I put information in your Enu Hope about that if you'd like to join me in attending that event. But, but these sorts of responses are what it looks like for the church to be the church, to look toward and to walk towards the messes. You'll notice that out front on the sign as you leave, you'll notice that I put the words, Hashtag for Catonsville. It was an idea that um, Jen and, and Shannon and I got when we went to this Atlanta conference at North Point Community Church last spring. And, and they got up there and, and one of the things they said at the conference was, you know, for far too long the church, big church, has been known for what it's against rather than what it's for. It's against dancing and it's against sex and it's against rock music, they said. But, but what if instead... The church started to co- intentionally communicate, communicate to the community what we're for. New Hope, what are we for? Well, for starters, we're for Catonsville. We desire that the area that we live and worship in to be a fruitful area, one of a thriving community and open doors. We're for Baltimore, city and county, that we would start living without dividing walls and start making moves to affect real change on our streets. We're for, as our mother church, Grace Fellowship says, inspiring a life worth pursuing, cultivating a, a culture of discipleship that is, that is focused not inwardly, just so that we can become smarter Bible scholars, but no, discipleship is, is, is pointed outward so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to a broken world. You see, I think we need to show the world not just our rules, but as Mary said before, we need to show the world our heart. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in these verses. You've heard it said, don't murder. Well, of course, but it's never been about just following that rule. It's always been about the heart. You're not following uh, the heart of this law simply because you haven't taken a life. Jesus says, I say to everyone who is angry, with his brother, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says, you fool, or uh, some of your translations may actually have the Aramaic uh, uh, raka, right? You fool, you moron, you idiot. Anyone who insults his brother will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says, I'm not just interested in people who follow the rules. 
I want your heart. Human beings were created in the image and likeness of their creator, and they have inherent value and worth. To deal out death and judgment is idolatry because God is the only one who makes that call. The thing is that death and judgment we deal out begins with the darkness of our own heart and manifests itself at first in the small ways, the small ways of anger, the small ways of hate that we have towards one another. The, the truth is, though, that anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. If you spent some time reading that Hebrew Bible that Jesus came to fulfill, you'll find that God is pretty furious over a few things. He's pretty furious over injustice. He's pretty furious over sin. And he's very furious about idolatry. God hates those things, not because he's some cosmic disciplinarian, but because those things hurt his people. Injustice hurts people, and God is rightly angry over it, and we should be as well. Sin creates distance between us and our holy God, therefore sin hurts people. When we ignore habitual sin in our lives, we're not just breaking the rules, we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting others. And then idolatry. Idolatry places things other than God on the throne so that we'll end up following idols and making our choices aligned with idols rather than the only one worthy of our follow. Injustice, sin, idolatry. If this whole following Jesus thing is about wholeness and holiness, then it makes sense that we would be angry when we see something that is clearly working against God's will. That homicide rate should anger us. And it should drive us to want to make choices to build for a better world. It should anger us when we think of the millions of people who are currently displaced worldwide and the broken systems that continue to fail them. It should anger us when we think about the sixth of the world that doesn't have access to clean drinking water and that there are people in this world right now today whom God loves who are eating garbage and drinking sewage. That should anger you. But that anger, in its purest form, is actually just pure, concentrated love. It's love in motion. If you don't like the word anger there, others have called it holy discontent. There's something wrong with the world, and I look at it and I say, that's, that's not right. This is an anger, though, or, an, or a discontent, that flows directly out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're truly living with Jesus as our center, then it's going to make sense that there are things about this broken world that make you and I lose sleep at night. The problem becomes when that anger that flows out of us is more than just holy discontent, right? We're wronged in some way. Or at least we're perceiving that we've been wronged in some way. And we... Rather than responding in love, we react in anger because we think that we're just responding. We're just responding to injustice. But, but the problem is that we add all sorts of things to our anger that does nothing but run in the opposite direction of love. We add to our anger fear 
and we add to our anger selfishness, and we add, add to our anger shame, and then this anger blows up at others, and we, or maybe we just gossip behind their back, and we insult them, calling them names, and we throw toxic waste to each one another on, on social media because we've forgotten about love and assumed that the only thing that matters is being right. This isn't a sermon on hell, but Jesus does make a, a direct reference to it, so it warrants our attention. When Jesus says, whoever insults a brother is liable to the hell of fire, he's specifically referring to a real place. It's a real place called Gehenna, which was a place where Jerusalem burned their rubbish. It's used regularly by Jesus and other Jewish writers to to reference ultimate punishment. See, this is Jesus saying as clearly as he can, don't go that way. That way, the way of anger and hate, leads only to death. If it's life that you're interested in, follow me. And then Jesus gives this very practical example of how this might play out in everyday life. He says, let's say you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go first, first, first. Be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. I grew up with a brother, and we fought all the time. I learned from a young age, though, that if things got so heated that mom needed to get involved, you were in an extra world of pain. Far be it to try as best you can to patch things up before you reached mom, before mom got involved, because once mom got involved, who knows what judgment may be facing the accused or the accuser, for those with ears to hear. No, the priority here is reconciliation. Reconciliation means the ceasing of hostility, the ceasing of opposition. It means that we are called, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to restore broken relationships, to harmonize and settle dispute before they blow up into something out of our control. I think that one of the many reasons why this is so important is because unreconciled relationships keep us from relationships. Because remember, to love God is to love people, and to love people is to love God. And when we have unreconciled relationships, that prevents us from responding to the world's needs. It prevents us from working together to build for God's kingdom. Now, I realize that this subject goes far deeper than we have time for today. I know that there is some pain that doesn't clear off the table easily. And I absolutely don't mean to oversimplify this topic, but I do mean to say clearly that Jesus desires reconciliation. He desires that we treat one another with respect, with gentleness, with honor. That Jesus wants us to acknowledge that our words have power and that 
we have the choice to either use our words for His glory or for ours. I love this quote. If you can turn with me, we'll close with this from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is an incredible letter from the Apostle Paul. Excellent letter for, uh, to learn about what the church is and what the responsibility of the church is. Paul says this, he says, Now I, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impunity. But that is not the way you learned. Uh, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that they, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to this, church. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, that's what we ask of you today. That we would receive from you the strength and the courage to put away bitterness and wrath. To put away that anger that is tainted with our own uh, sin. That's tainted with our own fear and shame and selfishness. And instead, put on Christ. Put on the one who came to reconcile the world, reconcile the universe back to you, back to, their, back to its Father, back to our Father. Father, we just ask that, I just ask that uh, my friends here today, that if there's somebody that they're thinking about right now, somebody that they need to make amends with, maybe it's just somebody that they need to make a phone call to this afternoon and say, hey, are we okay? Is there anything that's between us that shouldn't be? Is there anything but grace and love between us? Our Father, I just ask that you would whisper those names into our ears. 
and that we would have the courage to make that phone call or set up that coffee and be honest with each other, building up one another, being kind to one another, seeking reconciliation through the courage that comes through Christ alone. And Father, for those who are thinking of pain and suffering that is not easily uh, dismissed away, we also want to be mindful of that. I ask that you be present in those situations, that this world is a corrupt and evil place at times. And Father, I just ask that we, the church, can gather around those folks that are, that are suffering with those needs and, and encourage them and be kind to them and help them through that time of suffering. That, that no one would come into these doors, that come and sit in this place or be a part of our community and feel that they have to hide pain and suffering, that the pain and suffering that others have caused or the pain and suffering that they've caused themselves. That, that we can be honest that we can be open, that we can find friends here, we can find encouragement here, that we can be the church, building up one another in brotherly and sisterly love so that we can point our direction out these doors and then go out and be the church, be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to a world that is broken and in need of your grace and peace. I ask all of this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, To him be the glory alone.